And uh, we're going to continue our series on how do I measure up. And uh, we're going to deal, <clears throat> deal with one that's a tough subject to, to try to deal with, and that is the subject of humility. Um, humility is always a difficult thing to preach on or to teach on from God's Word, uh, not because it doesn't have a lot to say about it. In fact, the Bible has an abundance of things to say about pride and humility, and uh, we're going to look at a lot of those things this evening. Um, but when it comes to humility, uh, the, the issue of humility, um, it's one of those things that, uh, and I know I've said it this way before, but when we seem to get a handle on it or begin to get a handle on it, it's, that's the time that we are most vulnerable to having pride in our hearts uh, because we become proud of the humility that we've been able to see in our lives. And I would start off by saying this and giving you kind of an underlying premise, uh, something to just a foundational truth, uh, that humility ought not be something that is self-generated. Uh, it ought to be something that we reply, we rely completely and wholly upon the Lord helping us and aiding us with. Uh, when we when we start saying, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, in order to be more humble, uh, it becomes a, an, an egocentric thing even there, and it becomes a prideful thing. What we need to realize is that if it is not for God's help in this matter, we won't be able to we won't be able to have this kind of humility that the Bible speaks about. And so we've got to have his aid. We're going to see that a little more clearly here in just a few moments. But in Proverbs chapter number 16, <coughs> excuse me, and verse number 18, a very, very familiar passage of Scripture and probably the most famously quoted Scripture on pride. And that is this, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, there are, are a number of Scriptures that the Bible uh, gives regarding the, the sin of pride, the problem with pride. And I want to take a few moments. I'm just going to read through these, and I'll give you the references. You're welcome to write the references down, but I'm not going to have you turn to all of them just because this is all just a foundational thing, um, kind of just laying some idea here and giving you an idea of the the extensive uh, the extent to which God has made very, very clear how He feels about pride in our hearts. In Isaiah chapter number 2, verse number 11, uh, he writes this, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. Now, he's speaking here specifically in Isaiah of uh, the end-time events um, and how that the, those that are haughty, those that are proud, will be abased in the end times. So keep that context in mind. But he says, The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down in the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and are lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, and upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, and upon every high tower, and upon every fenced wall, and upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all pleasant pictures, and the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Two different times that phrase is used. The Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. And something we need to understand is this, that God, uh, God does not share His glory. God does not share His glory. 
uh, everything that, uh, if, if we believe the Bible the way we say that we believe the Bible, and we believe Genesis and the, the creation account the way that we say that we believe it, then what is there for you and I to be prideful about in any, in any stretch of things? Because there's nothing that we can be prideful about that is not owed to the glory of God. Uh, as we get to the book of Proverbs, we've read one passage already here tonight. But in Proverbs chapter 6, <coughs> verses 16 to 19, he says this, These six things doth the Lord hate. And yes, he uses the word hate here. Se- uh, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. So he's going to list seven things here. That, uh, six of them that God hates, seven that are an abomination. And the very first one on the list is a proud look. And I would say this. That the pride is what causes us to have and is the root behind all of the others. Uh, A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Uh, There's some things in there that uh, we didn't realize we're abomination to the Lord. Uh, something as simple as sowing discord among the brethren is an abomination. It's something God hates. He can't stand it. In Proverbs chapter 8, <clears throat> verse number 13, the Bible says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. And the evil way, the forward mouth, do I hate. And Proverbs eleven two says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. He talks about how much he hates. He talks about how much it brings shame. In Proverbs 16 and verse number 5, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Uh, Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Uh, We already read Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before fall. Proverbs 16, 19, very next verse, Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs 18 and verse number 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Proverbs 21 verse 4. An high look and a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Proud and haughty, uh, uh, Proverbs 21 verse 24. Proud and haughty scorner is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. In Proverbs 26 and verse number 12. Uh, <clears throat> Um, and I didn't have that verse written down. I'm sorry about that. Proverbs 26 and verse 12. I'll just read it to you. If I can get over there to it. Seest thou wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. And so again, I, I, I read all those to give us a really good understanding. And, and, and I, just, I just read you a smattering, just a small group of them out of mostly Proverbs to kind of give you an idea of how God hates pride. He detests it. It's sinful. It's an abomination. It's, it's, um, it brings shame uh, to have pride. And uh, it helps us as we deal with the topic of how do we measure up when it comes to humility. The Bible gives us some things that we can use to measure where we're at in this process of uh, doing away with our pride and having humility in our lives. And we'll take a look at some of these tonight. I'm going to be in two main passages. So let's turn first to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. 
I'll look at a couple of secondary passages, but mainly two passages tonight. He, uh, James chapter 4, about the middle or closer towards the end of your New Testament. Hebrews is a big book right before it, Hebrews James. All right, James chapter 4. Let's look in verse number 6. The Bible says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so one of the, the measuring marks of maturing in the Christian life in the area of humility God resisteth the proud, the Bible says, but giveth grace to the humble. And then he tells them in verse number five, uh, verse number uh, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I wrote this down regarding this. When our humility is maturing, when it is what it should be, according to the Scriptures, it will bring an increase of God's grace in our life that produces... A continuing growth of desire in our hearts to submit to God and resist the devil. That's a long, long statement, but basically we're saying it gives an increase of God's grace, and this increase of God's grace enables us to have an increased desire to submit ourselves to God and to resist Satan. Take a minute and let's look at the first five verses here. From which cometh wars and fightings among you, come they not hence even of your own lusts that war in your members. Ye lust and have not. (coughs) Ye kill and desire to have (coughs) and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is, an, is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? And here James is speaking about people who had trusted the Lord as their Savior, and yet were still living a carnal life. They were still living after the world. They were following after the lust of their flesh. They were basically fulfilling whatever the desires of their heart were. It was a very egocentric, very very self-centered lifestyle that was being living, uh, given here, and and it's on this it's on this the heels of this description of how they were living. In fact, he called them adulterers and adulteresses, and the fact that uh, they had been uh, friends with the world. And uh, we find that uh, the Bible tells us that we're not to love the world and love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And, and the reason that we love the world is because we have pride. We want what we want. Uh, it's like the little kid who is playing with a, a toy, and another kid comes in, and rather than sharing it, he says, no, it's mine, and he starts throwing and screaming and throwing a fit. I want it, I want it, I want it. And it's all about me. And that's a prideful spirit when you live carnally like this. And that's why... In the in verse number six, uh, James brings this to bear. After he explain, explains these folks that are living carnally because of their their lust, their pride, their self centeredness, he says, "But he giveth more grace." What kind of grace is he giving? Not grace for salvation in this time, 
Now he's giving us grace to overcome these things in our life, this carnal living. And he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. And you say, well, how do you know it's dealing with overcoming these things in our lives? Because he goes on to say in verse number 7 that as a result of this grace that God has given us, it allows us to have more of a desire to submit ourselves to the Lord and to resist the devil, to be able to overcome these things in our lives. And so if our humility is maturing, if, it's not, if we're not babes in Christ in the area of our pride and humility, if our humility is maturing the way that it should, then it should be producing in us a greater desire day by day to yield ourselves, to submit ourselves, is the word that James uses here, to submit ourselves to God and to resist the devil. Now, you can then look at your life and say, okay, do I long to follow and be obedient to the Lord and His, will, and His Word today? Do I have more of a desire to do that today than I did yesterday? Do I have more of a desire to resist what Satan throws at me by way of temptation today than I did yesterday? It's a measuring tool that we use that determines whether we are humble or not. Because God gives the grace to overcome these things to who? If we look at verse number 6, who does He give the grace to? Verse number 6, are we all there? Who does He give the grace to? He gives the grace to the humble, doesn't He? He gives the grace to the humble. He resists the proud, though. So if my humility is becoming more and more what it should be, then I should notice in my life a greater desire to submit myself to the Lord and to obedience to His Word. We're going to see that supported here as we go to Philippians chapter number 2 now. We'll see a very similar teaching that helps support this idea of when our humility is what it should be, we will become more submissive or at least have more of a desire to be submissive to the Lord and to resist the devil. Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 1, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through what? Strife or... You're going to find that these two are tied together. Pride and strife will always be tied together. In fact, in the book of Proverbs it says, Only by pride cometh, or only by pride cometh contention. If you, if you have strife in your life, you can mark it down as because there's pride there. And so he says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Alright, here's our second mark, our second measuring uh, mark of my humility or your humility. The word esteem means to set value or to hold in high regard. Now look at verse number 3. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. To hold them in high regard. To put a value upon them. And so the question is this. Do I value 
And do I look for the things that are good in other people? Do I value those things? Do I, do I uphold them? Do I encourage them in them? Or am I so focused in my own life that all I can see is what I do and think that what I do is best? I, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm typically a very stubborn, very opinionated person sometimes. I know some people may or may not know that or think that much about it. It's one of those battles I, I struggle with all the time. And I have, when, I, when I'm trying to accomplish something and there's people around trying to help, in my mind I have a way that I'd like to see it done. And I, th- I think it's the most efficient, the best way to do it. And occasionally when I'm working alongside of someone and we're trying to accomplish something, they'll, they'll, they'll do, start doing it a different way. And in my heart, I always think that's just not the best way. I think there's a better way. And I'll sometimes voice that concern. It's one of the things I have to do so often is bite my tongue during some of those times. Because the truth of the matter is, I've found over the years there are some times, not very often. <laughs> I can't say that. That's pride. i got to get rid of that. But there are some times that when I'm working alongside someone, they have a better idea that is much more efficient, much better way to get it done. And, and it's this idea. Do I think that my way is the only way or the best way all the time? And I don't ever see the good in other people. I don't, I, don't, I don't value their opinions. I don't value their feedback. I don't like to hear what they have to say. I remember years ago, I was coaching a high school basketball team, and I loved basketball. It was one of the sports I excelled in uh, when I was younger. And, and was kind of, I say excelled. I wasn't good at it, but out of the sports that I did, that was the one that I could do the best out of all the ones that I did play. And... I remembered uh, coaching, and I, I was, uh, if you know who Bobby Knight is with the Indiana, uh, I was a Bobby Knight type of coach. Now, maybe not quite as violent as he was, but I was very vocal, very loud, um, very intense in the game. And uh, we were playing a championship game, and it was coming down to the wire, and I was red in the face, and I was spitting and slobbering and hollering, walking up and down the sidelines. And when the game was over, uh, one of the deacons of our church said, Greg, can I see you in your office for a minute? I said, yeah, that's fine. So I went in the office. And uh, he said, Greg, I know you love football, basketball. He said, I, I love basketball too. He said, I'm here supporting the games. But he said, I just got to thinking as I was watching you coach tonight, if, if an unsaved person was sitting in our bleachers, what would they have thought about you tonight and your Christian testimony? And boy, I had to swallow some pride. I love that dear fellow. He, he, he made a huge difference in my life in a lot of ways, not just in my coaching, but all of a sudden I began to see a lot of things that I was that way. And I was so stubborn, so opinionated that it had to be my way or the highway. Can I tell you this? We need to learn to value the good in others. And not be so self-centered as to think that we are the ones that have arrived and everyone else needs to try to attain to our level. In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. In verse number 4, he says this, Let this mind be in you. I'm sorry, verse number 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
Now, a lot of times we quote this verse and we say, well, we ought to have the mind of Christ. And yes, we should. There are other scriptures that tell us we ought to think certain ways that would emulate the example that Christ has left for us. However, this particular verse in Philippians chapter 2 is dealing with a very narrow, very specific issue of the mind of Christ. And that is the issue of his humility. As we get to verse number 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And this is the mind now. We have a colon here that is putting a magnifying glass on what's to follow. It's, it's, it's making it, uh, putting the emphasis on it. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And so, was Jesus out of place to consider himself equal with God? No, because he was God. Would it be wrong for you or I to put ourselves on that plateau and say we're equal with God? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's preachers that stand in pulpits of churches, so-called churches, every single week, and they teach a little God's doctrine, meaning that we are the same as God. We are on the same level as Him. Uh, that God answers us. That He uh, has to have our permission to do anything in this world. And I've heard them say it with their own lips, and, and just that clearly. Folks, I'll tell you this right now. There's not one person alive other than the Lord Jesus Himself who was ever able to say that He was equal with God and be, be legitimate when He said it. And He said He could do this. And we look at that and say, okay, He could claim to be God and there would be nothing wrong with it because He was God. But look what it says here. In verse number 7, it says, But made Himself of what? No reputation. When Jesus came to this earth, could he have come? Could he have come in all of his glory and all of his splendor? Could he have done that? Sure, he could have. But he chose to come in a very humble way. And Paul says, this is the kind of mind we have to have. Even if there's something that we could take pride in, doesn't mean we should. Because God, who or Jesus, who had every right to claim to be God, didn't come that way. He took upon him. Uh, the Bible says he was uh, took upon, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a what servant. And here we find another measuring mark. <coughs> here we find another measuring mark. When our humility is maturing the way that it should in the Christian life, we will begin to have. <clears throat> We begin to have a servant's heart. Rather than wanting people to serve us, we'll want to serve others. We'll want to do something to be a blessing to them, to be a help to them. And you can mark it down. If, if there's not a whole lot of that in your life, you can mark it down. The humility is still on the milk of the Word, if you will. still a babe. It still hasn't matured very much. It hasn't grown the way that it should have. Because as our humility grows, as we become more like Christ, we'll have more of a desire to be a servant to other people, to love other people, to care for other people. Verse number 8, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became, here's the next one, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I found this to be true, that the more humble we are, the more willing we are to be obedient What's the first sign of rebellion in a person's heart? Pride. 
Who are they to think they can tell me I have to do this or that or whatever? That's pride. Humility always gets us to the place where we are more willing to be obedient. Now, not just obedient to anything. Obviously, there's things that this world would tell us to do contrary to God's Word. We're not to be obedient to that. But we are to be obedient to the Lord, aren't we? And to His Word. Notice what the Bible says here. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the what? Cross. Why was he being willing to be obedient to the death of the cross? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you'll remember the prayer that he prayed, he says, if there be, Lord, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. So the obedience was not just anybody's obedience, it was obedience to the Father. It was obedience to the death of the cross. This was God's way. And even though it was a bitter cup to drink, He humbled Himself and said, I want Your will, Father. And there are some times that being obedient to Christ, being obedient to His Word, may be a bitter cup to drink. But if our humility is what it should be, we'll be more willing to be obedient to it. If we find ourselves struggling with being obedient to Scripture, you can mark it down that we're struggling with the issue of pride. So we get to verse number 9. It says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name. By the way, if anybody's going to do any exalting, let it be the Lord. Doesn't need to be you, doesn't need to be me. Let it be the Lord. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always, here's that word again, obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does it mean to work out your own salvation? Does that mean we have to earn our salvation? Do we have to do works in order to get saved? No. He's saying here that the salvation's already there, and we are now to work as though we are saved. We're to labor this way. We're to, we're to live as a child of God at this point. So we're to work out our own salvation. But notice how he says this, with what? With fear and trembling. Why would he say this? Because humility will be reflected in us having a proper view of God, not just of His grace, but also of His holiness, and His justice. I'm thankful for the grace of God, but I'll be real frank with you. There's also a fear of God that we have. There certainly is this idea that how in the world can we even stand in the presence of someone so holy and so righteous? As I look back through the Old Testament and find occasions where God brought people into the presence, sometimes even of just an angel a being that had been in the presence of God and seeing their glory and how undone they were when they were in that position. I've, I was watching a, a clip a few weeks ago. A preacher was teaching on uh, the uh, Word of Faith movement and the, Jesse DePlantis and Kenneth Copeland, those things. He was, he was refuting some of their teachings. And I came across one where he was talking about the, the time, I guess, that Jesse claimed that he went to heaven. And I guess he did a, a big seminar on how he went to heaven and spent several hours with Jesus and came back. And uh, he was talking about how he and Jesus were walking. And Jesus put his arm around him. And 
uh, how Jesse just wanted to stay there, but Jesus said, "No, Jesse, I need you too much. You got to go back to to the earth, and you got to uh, you got to do my work down there." And 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 he talked as if he and Jesus were buddy buddy and pals. Now I will say this: I'm thankful that God loves me. I'm thankful that He loved me enough to die for me. I'm thankful that He allows me to be part of His family. But God is not my pal. God is a holy God who sits on the throne of heaven, who I revere and reverence and, yes, tremble in fear. There's a respect that ought to be given. And when true humility comes into the picture, we will begin to see Him more as He is. And I'll promise you this, that when we begin to see Him the more that He is, we'll begin to see ourselves more the way we are. The closer you get to the Lord, the more you realize and you see your undone condition. Verse number 13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. This humility, this humble mind, will produce in us a desire to do the will of God. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's not something we drum up in ourselves. It's something God produces in us as we submit ourselves to Him. As we humble ourselves and yield ourselves to Him and submit ourselves to Him. He will cause us to have a will to please Him. You're going to notice an attitude change. Before I got saved, all I wanted were things that pleased me. It was all me, 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 my, my, mine. I want this, I want that. After I got saved, while it's not a consistent thing that happens all the time, because there's still times I get selfish and I want things that I want, I will say that there became a desire in my heart to now I want to please Him. And there are some things that cost us individually. Maybe our time. Maybe some of our resources. But we do it because it pleases Him. Notice as we humble ourselves and as we become greater in humility, biblical humility that there becomes a far greater desire to do things that please the Father. It is no longer about us. It's what I can do to please Him. In verse 14, he says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. And I would say this, that as our humility is matured, we will avoid murmuring. And this idea of murmuring is uh, what the children of Israel did in the, in, the, uh, old, in the Old Testament when they wandered in the wilderness. And it was a complaint. It was usually said under breath. It was just a low murmuring. If you look up the definition of it, it's usually a very low, under-the-breath kind of complaining. But one of the things that's marked about this idea of murmuring is that it is continuous. You just complain, 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 complain. I remember when... uh, I can can say this about him because he's not here tonight. I remember when my son was younger and uh, I would take him and we'd do work we'd work together on some projects he would say dad i'm tired i'd be like okay son that's fine now go get that board and about five minutes later dad i'm tired okay son go get that other board <laughs> dad i'm tired you know and he kept saying i'm tired i'm tired I'm tired." 
over time, I just finally said, okay, Jonathan, I get it. You're tired. Dad is too. You don't have to say it every time. So I know it. I heard you the first time. You don't have to say it all the time. The idea of murmuring is you complain and you just continuously do it. You're nagging about it. And the person that has humility is not going to sit here and murmur about things, nor are they going to engage in disputes and arguments. Proverbs 13, verse number 10 is the verse I quoted earlier that says, Only by pride cometh contention, but the well-advised is wisdom. In other words, if I'm willing to accept someone's opinion about some things, there's wisdom in that. If I sit here and argue a point, it's only because of pride in my own heart. You can mark it down. Uh, Every argument that takes place, one or both, well, I would have to say both, have an element of pride to them, each standing for their own opinion. This is, this is my opinion, it's right, and you're wrong. And every argument that's ever come out has been that argument. Verse number 15, That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights. And I've got a whole number of things under this verse, and then we'll be done. When our humility gets to be what it should be, and as it's maturing and growing in the grace of the Lord, it will produce a character in us that will withstand the examination from them that are without. Can I tell you this? Your opinion of yourself really doesn't matter. Because it is always going to be a tainted uh, observation. We're going to be biased in our opinion when we evaluate ourselves. I don't worry so much what I say about myself. I worry more about what do other people say about me. That's a, I say I worry about it. I don't, not as far as my feelings being hurt, but as far as my testimony is concerned. I can't say that my testimony is good because I'm biased in my opinion. I want to hear what other people think about my testimony. They can see it more clearly than I can. And so when our humility gets to be the way it should, it will produce in us a character that can stand up to the scrutiny of people on the outside and will give the idea that my testimony is blameless. It's above reproach. That doesn't mean I'm perfect or I won't do anything wrong or you won't do anything wrong or be perfect. It just simply means that your character is such that you're not prone to be blamed for things. They'll look at you and say you're above reproach. That you're harmless. Notice the list of things that he gives here. That you may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God. Your character will exemplify the fact that you're a son of the living God. You're a child of the King. Live like it. Live like it. Without rebuke. Not a whole lot in your life that people can come to you and say, you need to fix this or you need to fix that. And when they do, you take it with grace and you say, I'll pray about that and get that right in my life. And then notice this. He's speaking here of those that are without. He says that you may be blameless and harmless, sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom, here's the last measurement, you shine as lights in the world. You shine as lights in the world. 
So verse number 15 is talking about our character. There are five things that it talks about with regards to our character. That we have a character that is known for the fact that it's blameless, it's harmless, that we're the sons of God, that we're without rebuke, and that we shine as lights in the world. When people look at my life, do I measure up to that criteria? Do you measure up to that criteria? And verse number 16 says, holding forth the word of life. And that's our final one. Holding forth the word of life. What does it mean to hold forth the word of life? I used to read that verse and I used to think, well, holding forth the word of life means I need to take it and preach it everywhere I go. Um, And while that may be a part of holding forth the word of life, there's a lot more to it than just preaching it everywhere you go. The idea of holding it forth means that I live it. I exemplify it. I don't only speak about the word of life, but I obey it in every aspect. I'm holding it forth. I'm, I'm presenting it to the world and I'm saying, here's what God said we must do. And I'm not just telling them what they must do, but I'm showing them also with my life as I preach it, as I tell them about it, that I also am obedient to it and I live by it. Pride will cause us to preach the Word of God, but not live it. It's humility that will cause us to be obedient, to be submitted to the Lord, and to resist the devil. So, how do we measure up? Things that the Bible says are characteristics of the humble. In fact, not just the humble, but Christ specifically in His role of humbling Himself. And that we're to have that same mind. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in likeness of man. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And uh, a lot of things to measure up to there. Are we going to fully succeed this side of heaven? Probably not. Because there was one thing I've found in my life to be true, and I I don't know if it's the same in yours, but it has been in mine, and that is this. About the time you start to get a handle on your pride, it pokes its head up again, and there it is, before you even realize it. I I remember sitting in my room, and I shared this, I believe, once or twice here in our church, but I'm not sure everybody was here the time I have, but... I remember sitting in my living room, uh, it's been about six years ago now, five years ago, six years ago now, somewhere in there. And uh, my wife had left me taking the kids, and, and at the time it was just a very dark time in my life, very dev- devastating time. I couldn't, couldn't hardly survive. I just went to work, came home, sat in the house, didn't want to talk to anybody. Shed a lot of tears, spent a lot of time praying, and I remember, I remember sitting in my chair one night and talking with the Lord and pleading with Him to bring my family back and uh, heal it and bring it back together. And uh, I remember sitting there, and the thought came to mind, and I know Satan put it in my heart to think this, or maybe it just came from my own selfishness. But I made this statement in my heart and in my mind. I, I think I actually verbalized it to the Lord. I think I actually spoke it out loud to him sitting there in the 
in the living room. And I, the, the mindset was this, Lord, after all that I've done over all these years in ministry for you, and this is what I get. And I mean in the next split moment, my heart just broke. And I thought, how in the world could I say such a thing? I'll be real frank with you. I didn't know I had that kind of pride. At that time in my life, I was, I was so low in the circumstances that God had brought into my life. I, I had no idea that kind of pride was in my heart, that kind of arrogance. As, as if I had done God some kind of huge favor that He should be grateful for and reward me because He's so grateful for my efforts. I began to weep and ask for the Lord to forgive me of that attitude and that mindset. Because, folks, I, I share that and I, I don't even like to share it because I, I remember that moment and how embarrassing it was to me and how eye-opening really it was to me. But I share all that to say this, that it's possible for you and I to think that we are doing well in this area of pride and be completely oblivious to how much there is in our life. Until God brings something to bear that brings it out in the focus and helps us to see it more clearly. Rather than have to go through something like that, for God to bring us to this point of recognizing the pride in our lives, can we not just come to the Scriptures, find out some things that characterize humility, and say, Lord, I want to, I want to work towards those things. I want to try to achieve that. Because I don't like what God puts me through to help me see my pride. It hurts. There's a lot of pain in it. I'd far rather come to Scripture and say, Lord, show me. Show me how to get a handle on this thing. And I hope that will be a help to you. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for Your Word, how it instructs and guides us. We pray that You'll bless and use it in our hearts. And Lord, in this issue of pride, it's such a, such a, a thing that You have.